Today on Not Sam Wrestling, LA Night is everywhere. Where is the Judgment Day going? Ricky Starks defeats CM Punk, Adam Cole, and MJF, Ricochet, and Logan Paul, and so much more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. How is everybody doing? Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. So wonderful to have you all here. What a week we're in store for. Count down the days till SummerSlam, then right after that is all in, all out, and so much to talk about. What do you say you and I go all out, huh? Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling uh, as we gear up for uh, the rest of the summer and going into fall, the conversation about whether or not wrestling is hot. I am done having the conversation. It is right now as hot as it's been at least since the Attitude Era. And when you think about, is wrestling hot? Is it not hot? You can't look at the same metrics as you did during the Attitude Era. Anybody that would have you count ratings points on television as the be-all, end-all of whether or not it's hot has no idea what world they're living in. Television shows don't get ratings the way television shows used to get ratings. The fact of the matter is, when I'm trying to find out whether an audience is really responding to a segment. Like when I see a segment on uh, Monday Night Raw or when I see like a storyline like Adam Cole and MJF or The Judgment Day and I'm going like, yeah, people are really responding. I look at a few things. If I'm trying to figure out that individual segment, I listen on the show at how the crowd responds. Hopefully it's an actual crowd and not a pre-recorded crowd because if it's a pre-recorded crowd, well, that's going to re really disrupt my experimentation. But I listen to how the crowd responds. I listen to everybody booing Dominic. I listen to whether or not the good guys are getting cheered and whether or not we are booing the bad guys. But I also, I go to YouTube. I go to the WWE YouTube channel. I go to the WWE on USA YouTube channel. I go to the TNT YouTube channel. I go to the AEW YouTube channel. And I look at what kind of viewership the individual segments are getting when they upload clips to YouTube and how they compare to other segments on the show. I look at the fact that LA Knight, for example, coming out and cutting that promo, first of all, brilliant. The fact that we've got a fatal four-way coming up next week on SmackDown and three of the four members cut a promo backstage and only one member of that match came out to get that crowd pop and cut his promo in front of the people. And it was LA night. No coincidence that when you look at the YouTube from SmackDown on WWE's YouTube channel, only the bloodline stuff did better than LA night. LA night did way better than almost anything else that was listed as a YouTube segment. And again, that's not the end all be all, but then we have all this data at our fingertips. WrestleTix, I think, is the Twitter account that I love to go to. I'm just interested in seeing how arenas are selling. And they have it for every single show. They post a, a screen grab of the, of the arena, 
and it says this is how many tickets are it was set up for this is how many were sold this is how many are available this is how many are 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 on uh resale and you can see that arenas just keep getting sold out and then when it comes to tv ratings you don't go, well, what's the number of viewers? And let me compare it to something that happened 15 years ago. You go, what's the number of viewers? And let me compare it to other things that were on television at that time. And lo and behold, wrestling keeps creeping up and creeping up. Let's book another stadium. It'll fill up. UK, fill up. Puerto Rico, fill up. Everywhere you go. And I think it's because people are so invested again in these in these stories and in these characters. You know, it wouldn't be not Sam Wrestling if I didn't start with the bloodline a little bit. We won't we don't need to do a whole dissection. That'll we'll save that for next week. Because something the WWE did for SmackDown this week that I think was really, really smart is they spent a lot of their time on Fox this week building up next week's show. Next week's show is on FS1. FS1's viewership is far less than that of Fox. And also, when a show is on one channel at one time every week, if you turn on Fox and SmackDown's just not on, there are a lot of people that still are not going to go and find it. Or, oh, that's right, FS1. They'll just go, oh, whatever. I'll just find something else. Or they'll get distracted in their search for what's happened to SmackDown. So instead they go, you know, we had this, uh, this whole first four, we had, we had Santos Escobar win this four-way match, the LA night four-way match that's happening next week. It's been two weeks now, no LA night match on TV, but we gave you a taste last week. You want to see him wrestle? You got to tune into FS1. You want to see what the tribal chief has to say in response to Jey Uso? Got to look at FS1. And I think that that was really, really smart. So that's what we saw Jey Uso, who still has that thing in his head as Paul Heyman was berating him that he's got to work to feel greater than. He comes from a a place of less than. He's got to find that main event, Jey Uso. And when he snapped on Solo, I said, in any other context, I don't know if I would buy that because Solo Sokoa is his brother. But the fact that for the since WrestleMania, and you could argue since Survivor Series to an extent, the whole Bloodline story has been about family and fighting family. That once Jimmy and Jey Uso crossed that line, which they did at Night of Champions, and turn on Roman, well, now you're off to the races. Now you're in a place where family and non-family, that line's been blurred. Once you lay out Roman Reigns, brother or not, those relationships have been severed and and we're ready to fight. This whole thing is bigger than all that. Paul Heyman taking a bump to Jey Uso was great to see. Just, I mean, just just a great continuation in this chapter and 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 really this this nice, slow, but each segment more and more meaningful build for Jey Uso. So we can get to SummerSlam and get to this place where Jey Uso is that guy that we're going, you know what? I don't see Jey Uso as champion, but this the way this story goes, 
I kind of do see him beating Roman Reigns. And, and this story is so good because I feel like for most of us, I think, that are listening to this show, we're the hardcore wrestling fans, right? We're not the cash is. And I, I think that really the bloodline is the one story that's brought even the most hardcore fans to this place of, well, this is what I think is going to happen back to where they should be and where we as fans should be. This is what I want to happen. The sounds that come out of your mouth at these live shows should be about what you want to happen. When you see Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns, the question isn't, do I think Jey Uso is going to win? Do I think the WWE is going to make Jey Uso the champion? No, 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 no. The story is good enough that we have suspended our disbelief. So we are willing to say, do I want Jey Uso to win? We're not sitting there, you know, pretending to be promoting our own territories, be little wrestling businessmen, little wrestling entrepreneurs that know we could book definitely better than whoever's in charge. That's every other story. For this one, I'm reacting to Jay, not because I think he'll win, not because he should win, not because he can go on to do this. He can sell this many shirts. He can. It's because I'm lost in the story and I want Jay Uso to win. And when you can get the most hardened wrestling fans to retreat back to childhood to a place where that was how you determined who you rooted for. You cheered for the guys because you wanted them to win. You weren't thinking about, you know, well, if this person wins, they'll be able to work with that person and put over that guy. And But you were just going like, I don't know. I'm, I'm watching WrestleMania and I want Mr. Perfect to beat Lex Luger. Why? Because he's the good guy. I want him to win. That's it. I think that's the beauty right now of where we're at with the bloodline story is that as grown-ass adults, a lot of people are just going... Yeah, but wouldn't it be great to see Jey Uso win? I just want to see him win. I think ultimately, that's that that's that's why people are talking about moments so much because because getting that moment is not really about like, well, from a business perspective, I just think we need more moments. It's I want that release. I want this thing that I want to see happen to happen. And if as a, a fan of wrestling for years and years, or as a fan of wrestling for two months, if you're at that place, you're at the ideal spot to enjoy the show in the best way possible. I think, in my opinion, one of my uh, favorite, by the way, trends online this week was LA Knight is everywhere. Because he was, it's like, you can take this guy off TV. You know, LA Knight wasn't on SmackDown uh, last Friday in Madison Square Garden but he did the segment with Hit Row where they just uploaded it exclusively to YouTube, did gangbuster numbers on YouTube and social media, and then for the next week, just clips of LA Knight doing other things started popping up everywhere. I think that the, the first one that I think I saw was, you know, because we know, but even before this, old wrestling clips of LA Knight have been surfacing. There are far more L.A. Knight fans today than there ever were Eli Drake fans. But still, every time I turn around, every time I log on to somewhere, whether it's YouTube or Instagram, TikTok, I'm seeing, because the whole crowd, and they're saying, Eli Drake, yeah, 
And like all of his old Impact promos are coming up. And all of his old NWA promos are coming up. And you have a lot of fans going, he was right in our face the whole time. And they're looking at WWE going, he was right in your face the whole time. And the WWE is going, you have no idea how right in our face he was the whole time. Because we went past his wrestling career. We started going into to, to just LA Knight's face being in the public. And he really has been everywhere this entire time. A clip from the Triple H workout video. Long time ago. It looked like probably towards the beginning of the uh, Performance Center. And the Performance Center's been open for about 10 years. So uh, sometime within the last, you know, seven to 10 years, Triple H put out a workout video, a workout DVD that was shot in the Performance Center. And he's like leading a class. And they all have their like WWE Performance Center shirts on. And... They're go. He's like, all right, one, one, two, two, three, three, and they're doing sit-ups or whatever they're doing. I don't know. I wasn't part of the class, but there's a there's a really familiar, clean-shaven but familiar face, right to Triple H's left. And Triple H says something like, "Let's get up." All right, yeah, and you just hear him go, "Yeah," <laughs> and it's the L.A. Night, yeah, and you realize that Max do. LA Knight is right next to Triple H in this workout class. You're like, huh? They go, yeah, he wasn't just in this workout class. They go back to performance center footage. You start, you see LA Knight in promo class in like, you know, the very beginning of NXT era. They used to air those like uh, uh, tapes of like Bailey and Sasha Banks and even Seth Rollins cutting promos in promo class. They also had L.A. Knight there at that time cutting promos that are really similar to the ones that he's cutting on SmackDown now that have the whole crowd saying L.A. Knight, yeah. And then they go to, there's footage of Sasha Banks cutting one of her promos and figuring out what her character is going to be. And she's got like the Sasha crew or whatever they were called all around her. And one of the people in the Sasha shirts, L.A. Knight. People started looking at clips. There was, there was some, I don't remember what match it was, but somebody went careening over the top rope and into the second row. And you know who was sitting in the second row? L.A. Knight, yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't there as a fan. He was there as a paid extra. He was there as a plant. So when a superstar got knocked into the second row, they didn't knock into a fan. They knocked into a, an extra, some extra talent. We go back to see CM Punk and Kevin Nash having their confrontation, one of their confrontations on Monday Night Raw in 2011 during that post-awkward Summer of Punk era. And who's one of the security guards that's keeping CM Punk and Kevin Nash away from each other? That security guard is none other than L.A. Knight. Yeah. People start looking up old, like, no-budget sketches. And they look at somebody who's wearing, like, a fat suit and a wig pretending to be an overweight woman. And that face looks familiar. Who could that face be? That face is none other than L.A. Knight. Yeah. They start finding commercials. Commercials that ran on WWE television. You remember that commercial that used to run on, I think it was Monday Night Raw. It was definitely NXT, but it used to run on the USA Network during WWE television. And Ric Flair, woo! was in a wrestling ring 
talking about car shield. And this guy was in the ring and he was wearing like fatigues or something. And he was calling himself the overcharger. And he was cutting a wrestling promo, but he was talking about how he was going to overcharge you for car insurance. And then the Nature Boy Ric Flair came in and Nature Boy chopped the overcharger and told you to go to Car Shield. But guess who the overcharger was? The overcharger in many circles is known as L.A. Knight. Yeah. There's a commercial for the jewelry exchange where some schmuck paid too much money for a ring that he's giving to a girl. You know who that schmuck was? None other than L.A. Knight. Yeah. Aldi. You ever heard of the supermarket Aldi? A commercial for Aldi. Who's shopping in Aldi? Who in the world shops at Aldi? You know who shops at Aldi? I'll spell it for you. L.A. Knight. Yeah. He is everywhere, has always been everywhere, always will be everywhere. The overnight sensation, L.A. Knight, who has who is, who is attracted the world, set the wrestling world on fire in the last three or four months, has actually been doing this for 10 years. Everywhere. People are fascinated with how many L.A. night appearances there always have been everywhere. And it's all in stuff that we've seen. We've seen this guy, all of us, that are yelling, yeah, every time we go to an arena. We've been watching him do this for years and years and years. You know, as over as he is, you go, uh, how could they mess this up? But, I mean, he wasn't doing this many numbers, but again, we could talk about, you know, how you can't compare TV ratings now to TV ratings then. You can't compare internet numbers then to internet numbers now. Because this isn't dissimilar to what Zack Ryder did when Zack Ryder was doing True Long Island Story, now he wasn't, he hadn't, this foundation wasn't there, but this groundswell of internet support was there for him and it was squandered. Could this happen again to LA Knight? It shouldn't because it shouldn't have happened to Zack Ryder. And I would hope that those mistakes have been learned from. This promo that LA Knight did where he acknowledged that everybody has seen him everywhere did massive numbers on YouTube did massive numbers on Twitter and had the whole arena chanting along with him. For a lot of people who went to SmackDown, save for maybe the Jey Uso segment, it was one of the top highlights of SmackDown and it was about 45 seconds long. So where is this all going? Well, I've been saying for a, a little while now that it's insane to consider LA Knight a heel. The idea that L.A. Knight is on the heel side of things is never, ever going to work. That's why I wanted him to lose the Money in the Bank ladder match because I didn't think he could turn babyface with the briefcase. I thought he had to lose the briefcase and then go on to the next thing and within that next thing, turn baby. For me, it was Logan Paul, but there are other ways to do it. I just, I can't see this coming week on SmackDown there's a fatal four-way match between Sheamus, Rey Mysterio, LA Knight, and I'm uh, blanking on who the last, who the fourth person is right now. I just can't see a side of this where LA Knight doesn't win. 
as much as people wanted him to win the Money in the Bank briefcase, Triple H specifically said at the press conference, good things come to those who wait. There are no other heels in this fatal four-way match. The idea is Santos Escobar, surprisingly to a lot of people, won the fatal four-way this week on SmackDown to go to the finals of this United States Championship Invitational. There are no other heels other than LA Knight, who is technically on the heel side of things right now. There is nothing in my head that tells me that LA Knight could even possibly lose this fatal four-way on SmackDown. If he does, then throw the towel away. I think LA Knight wins the fatal four-way. I think he goes to SmackDown next week to face Santos Escobar. And I think he beats Santos because the worst thing, by the way, the worst thing that you could do for Santos right now Unless you're turning him into a monster heel, which the LWO is like, it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's as, it's, it's baby face like it's Gerber's. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's booing the LWO. They love the LWO. What's not to love about the LWO? It's Rey Mysterio. It's Zelina Vega. Santos Escobar. Come on. So I think uh, uh, LA Knight and Santos are the final two in this uh, United States Invitational. I think uh, LA Knight beats Santos. And that's kind of the last match of LA Knight as a heel. They haven't announced it officially, but once you have Austin Theory versus LA Knight, I think it would be a mistake to do that because you have two shows you could do it on. You could do it on the SmackDown before SummerSlam or you could do it on SummerSlam. And the idea that you could have this moment where you're crowning LA Knight the United States champion and you wouldn't do that at Ford Field, that you would do that in Dayton, Ohio, the night before you're in Ford Field, that seems like an extreme miss to me. You could say, well, you got to do it to pop a rating on SmackDown. But the fact is that if you've got Roman Reigns and Jey Uso on SmackDown the night before SummerSlam, you don't need any help popping a rating. Everybody's going to be locked into that bloodline story to the point where you almost don't want to do another huge moment on that show because nothing in this industry is going to eclipse the bloodline right now. So I think the only choice that you have is to do your Austin Theory LA Knight match at SummerSlam. LA Knight's got to win that title. He's got to win that title. He has to. And with that, LA Knight is a babyface. Now, I don't think LA Knight's act changes at all because this is the key, right? A lot of people have mapped this out. They go, well, LA Knight didn't win the money in the bank, but that's okay. Just put the United States Championship on him. And that's what people say, right? Well, he wasn't on SmackDown last week, but that's okay. Just they'll put the United States Championship on him. Well, if you put the United States Championship on him, it'll be okay. No, you can't just put the United States Championship on LA Knight. United States Championship as a championship by itself won't mean a thing. Titles don't make men. Men make titles. LA Knight has to use winning the United States Championship as the momentum he needs to take his character, which is the same character that he's been doing through uh, Impact, NWA, all these weird commercials and stuff that he was on. It's really the same character. 
this winning this title needs to provide the momentum to take that character to its next level and thus heightening the importance of the United States Championship. And I think that the way you do that is let LA Knight tell the story that all of us internet sleuths have now pieced together. That Eli Drake doing the exact same thing that LA Knight does now is LA Knight's story. The fact that LA Knight is on all these commercials and in all this WWE, whether it's extra work, whether it's workout videos, it's all stuff that he's not meant to star on. But there's something about him. Every time you see him on all of these platforms where he still is LA Knight, whether it's him in the Triple H video going, yeah, it's all the same thing. Every time LA Knight does an interview, he brings up the fact that every article about him brings up his age. Every time I hear LA Knight talk, and it's not LA Knight's fault, he gets asked about it all the time. It's his age, and it's the comparisons to The Rock and Stone Cold. Every LA Knight conversation, that's what they talk about. So what I think is that LA Knight needs to finally tell his story. When it was time for Triple H to ascend, to get to the main event, there was a promo that he did, an interview that he did with Jim Ross that changed everything. You know, people say, people say, you gotta respect the, you gotta, you gotta respect the game. Don't be the player. Well, I am the game, JR. I am the game. And when, when he got in JR's face and he said, I am the game, and you felt it, and he was bleeding it, every pore of his body was leaking this message that, that every moment that you saw him, whether it was when he was terrorizing in WCW, Jean-Paul Levesque coming to WWE as the Greenwich Blue Blood, having to take a timeout ski because he supported his friends in Madison Square Garden when none of his friends got punished. Having to work under Shawn Michaels in DX. Having the entire faction put squarely on his shoulders. All this journey leads us to this place where it's enough. I don't want to see one more person come in here and think that they are getting a spot that's above my spot because I am the game. And the whole world changed for Triple H because he told his story. Now, I'm not saying LA Knight goes out there and mimics the Triple H game promo. I'm saying LA Knight sits down with somebody and explains this story. That he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, use a bunch of like puns. He doesn't do a Muhammad Ali impression. He doesn't, you know, go. A lot of people out here say they're not scared, but they're quivering. Like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Talk to me like a person. It's time for LA Knight to talk to his audience that's on his side like a human being and go, let me explain something to you. You've seen it. You know what you saw? 
in all those videos of me? You know why I'm the Forrest Gump of this place? That I've been everywhere and nobody even knew it? It's because unlike everybody else that you've ever seen walk through that curtain, I've never stopped trying. I have, you've heard people say never give up before. I embody it. I spent 20 years having people tell me it wasn't going to happen. I spent 20 years having people tell me I sound too much like somebody else. 20 years of people telling me we don't have a spot for you. 20 years of saying you can't be a movie star, but we'll put you in this commercial. 20 years of, well, we can't put you on the pay-per-view, but you can be in the workout video. 20 years of going, yeah, you can be a top guy in Impact. Yeah, you can be a top guy in NWA. Tell the story of the fact that when NXT signed him, they offered him less money than the NWA was offering him. And he took it because he wanted to prove himself. And they made him prove himself. Talk about the fact that when he finally got the chance to get to the main roster, that they made him shave his face, put a suit on, and call himself Max Dupree, and try to put over an act that was never going to get over. Tell the story that he's now told in interviews, where before Triple H took over, he was on the chopping block. It was time to let him go. And tell the fact, that, tell the story that even after Triple H got there, that when he got his second shot, his second shot was wrestling in a Mountain Dew match with a guy in a Halloween costume. And somehow after all that, losing every match, not getting the briefcase, that he still walks into these buildings and hears L.A. Knight echoing through them. And you know why that is? Because L.A. Knight has made himself undeniable. Everybody will tell you the trick is to make yourself undeniable. I'm the only one who's done it. Yeah. I mean, dude, this is the story. This is the story of L.A. Knight. Once he's got the United States Championship, and that's what makes him such a babyface, once he's got that United States Championship, this is a guy who is only, unlike everybody else who's ever had it, this is a guy who is only in that position because he didn't allow anybody to be able to realistically say you can't have it. He became undeniable. And if he can convince you that he's undeniable now. How can you tell him today that he's not capable of doing anything that he wants to do? That is the story of LA Knight and the story that I hope rings through whatever arena SmackDown is in the night after or the Friday after SummerSlam with LA Knight as the United States champion. Because then you can go back, right? You can you can go back to Austin Theory versus LA Knight in a rematch. And now, I mean, I feel like if you tell that story straight up, LA Knight is is 
even more over than he is now. That's how you get L.A. Knight to a place where he can be the, the guy. Like that. Not by coming out and cutting the same wrestling promos that every other wrestler has ever cut. Who are you? I figured out who he was watching him in all those videos. Why was he everywhere? And why do we care? Well, that's why. At its root, that's why we care. If you can explain that to me, L.A. Knight, if you can explain to me that that's why we care, I mean, I gave myself goosebumps telling cutting your promo. So imagine how big they'll be if you cut it. <laughs> Sometimes my own hubris is disgusting to me, too. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Make sure, by the way, that you are with me uh, in Detroit. We will be there on SummerSlam Saturday, 5 p.m., Eastern time at the Detroit House of Comedy. It's only a block away from Ford Field. So if you're going to SummerSlam, you'll have plenty of time. Come to the live show. It's the best tailgate you're ever going to experience. Not Sam Wrestling Live, 5 p.m. SummerSlam Saturday, August 5th, I believe, uh, at the Detroit House of Comedy. A block away from Ford Field. Get your tickets at notsamlive.com. Uh, speaking of uh, good storytelling... So, interesting episode of Collision this week for sure. You had uh, one of the classic tag matches. I mean, FTR, FTR could tell a similar story that LA Knight could about just being undeniable. It's like FTR have not been given nearly the amount of chances you would expect a team like that to be given. But you give them an opportunity to put on a barn burner last year, that trilogy with the Briscoes, one of the best trilogies ever. Certainly one of the best tag team trilogies ever. And then what? Six months later, eight months later, you go and you do a one hour, two out of three falls match on collision with the Bullet Club boys. Unbelievable. If you didn't get a chance, hopefully you DVR collision. If you didn't get a chance to watch that FTR Bullet Club match, two out of three falls on collision, Make it a point to watch it. Give yourself an hour and just enjoy a great wrestling match. It's a risky thing right now on Collision to put on an hour-long match, but sometimes it's worth it. And yeah, FTR, I feel like FTR versus Bullet Club is one of those matches that we'll appreciate more as time goes on. There's just so much going on in AEW right now that it's hard to appreciate things as they're happening. You know, everything's just moving at such a pace. But, I mean, I, I think that at the end of the year, that's going to be one of those matches that people are really looking at going, oh, my God, that was a classic. Uh, but what I loved on the show personally, because I'm a story guy. You know, I'm a guy who loves stories. I loved Ricky Starks winning, and I loved the way Ricky Starks won. So I think Ricky Starks surprised a lot of people. I'm a huge Ricky Starks fan. I mean, I'm a big CM Punk fan, too. I, but I think you know I'm a CM Punk fan by now. Huge Ricky Starks fan. And I love that he won the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament. And I think that's because uh, people just kind of gave it to Punk. They figured that, okay, this is just going to be the first thing Punk's doing, that Punk is back and he doesn't have a story. He's going to do a couple matches with Samoa Joe. They'll give him the Owen Hart Cup and then we'll go from there. But they didn't give him the Owen Hart Cup. Ricky Starks came in after, after having some great matches. He did Forbidden Door. They did the Samoa Joe match. Now it's time for the big Ricky Starks match. And you're thinking, okay, CM Punk is going to have the kid go over without getting over or get over without going over. <laughs> he didn't get over 
but he went over, it'd be a waste of everyone's time. But he's going to get over without going over. But instead he got over and then he went over. So uh, Ricky Starks, uh, after a good match, grabs the rope for the last stroke of the three count. And CM Punk, looking befuddled, uh, loses in the finals of the Owen Hart tournament while he's wearing Bret Hart's pink and black. Uh, poetry. Uh, Ricky Starks grabs the cup and like really gets out of there quick. They ended up doing the presentation of the trophies and the belts to Ricky and to Willow Nightingale uh, at the Battle of the Belts that I guess was on right after Collision. But uh, the fact that he retreated the way he retreated was like, okay, like Ricky Starks decided to cheat, knows that he cheated and doesn't care. He just wanted the cup. Very heelish tendencies. But I also noticed that like Punk was, oh, there goes Andre. Punk uh, was cheated and knows that he was cheated and reacted as if he was cheated. So I was kind of left wondering, what if they don't go in the direction that it seems like they're going in? It seems like the direction they're going in is that you would turn Ricky Stark's uh, heel, right? And then maybe do something with Punk where it's Punk is a good guy versus Ricky Stark's a bad guy. Who knows? But to turn Ricky Stark's heel. Now, you could turn Ricky Stark's heel either way, right? Doesn't matter. I don't think you should. I think Ricky Stark's could be one of your top baby faces. I don't think there's any benefit right now to turning Ricky Stark's heel because I don't think he's done everything he can as a babyface. I think there's a lot of meat on the bone with Ricky Stark's as a good guy. And I think that that's ultimately why you should turn somebody. I don't think that you should leave a ton on the table unless you've got a super hot angle and you can go back and do a turn. You know, I, I just don't think that you should have a big turn if there's still more to do in the role that they're in. And I think Ricky could be one of the top guys in AEW, especially on collision, if he were a good guy. That said, I could see Punk benefiting very much out of being a bad guy. There are already arenas that CM Punk has gone into where he's gotten booed. And what was really interesting is, I forget if it was Forbidden Door or if it was the collision after Forbidden Door, I forget. But it was one of the matches that Punk started to get booed and he changed his wrestling style halfway through the match. It was a genius thing. He changed his wrestling style halfway through the match and started wrestling like a heel. He started wrestling like a bad guy. And you go, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. No surprise, by the way. Um, I feel like, like there, when you go back and look at footage of like Hogan, there are a lot of times when he was being a baby. And that if you really look at what he was doing, he was kind of being pretty heelish. If it wasn't, so easy to root for him because he was like a human version of He-Man. He would have gotten booed. Anybody else would have. You know, the idea that he got eliminated from the Royal Rumble and then he pulled Sid out after faking a handshake. That's heel. You know, when, when he would complain. No, that was three. That was three. No, that was three. It's like, come on, dude. Stop whining. I think CM Punk could go in that direction. And when CM Punk goes in that direction, I think people are going to boo him. You know, I, I I think CM Punk coming out and complaining about Ricky cheaply getting that victory 
I don't think that it would make people cheer CM Punk. I think it would make people boo CM Punk. Ricky could probably turn heel or babyface regardless of what Punk does. But I feel like here, there's enough here between fans booing him in some of the buildings, between the fact that there's a group of wrestlers that don't want him wrestling on Wednesdays, and the fact that this kid Ricky Starks was in a position to be made by having a good match with CM Punk, except he grabbed the ropes to get a cheap victory because he wanted the victory instead. There's a lot of room here for Punk to be a heel. If Punk comes out and he says, I would have made you by just having a good match with me, but instead you took that cheap victory. Do you really think winning that cup and getting that victory is more valuable than having a great match with me? Oh, shut up. Boo. Boo. What he's saying isn't false. And you could see where he's saying it. Like, it, it actually makes sense. And there's truth to it, which is why it's so perfect for turning him heel. There's this, I think even CM Punk supporters, there's almost this, this, this underbelly that wants to boo him right now. I, I feel like you, you can't ignore this feeling that it might be time for CM Punk to be a heel. And he could turn back babyface, right? This isn't because I think he's a bad person. <laughs> it's wrestling, for God's sake. But I really think that, that Punk being a heel is, is, is where this thing with Ricky should go. And I think Ricky's the perfect person to be the catalyst for it. For me, I mean, look, AEW said this week, or there's rumors going on this week that uh, they're going to have both All In and All Out on pay-per-view. We know All Out's going to be on pay-per-view. It's on pay-per-view every year. But seven days before All Out, they're doing All In in Wembley Stadium with 60,000 people in the building. If both those shows are on pay-per-view, you're going to need some hot stories to tell. Two pay-per-views worth. And you may need one that extends into the next one. You may need one pay-per-view to be left with unfinished business, so we're going to buy the next pay-per-view. If that's the case, I think CM Punk having a hot story is essential. You're not selling two pay-per-views week after week by just having great matches. I think MJF and Adam Cole needs to sort itself out on this all-in pay-per-view and maybe go forward to all out you know maybe they can stretch this tag team all the way to all in it explodes and they can have a match a week later at all out right like because to me that's the other hot story that's the other thing i'm really enjoying in AEW right now is uh adam cole and mjf it's some of the funnest stuff i'll say on wrestling television right now um and uh uh it's 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 showing how good both Adam Cole and Max can be, right? I think that their chemistry is is on the money. I think the fact that they started this story with a great match and then it led into this is good, right? A great match for the sake of a great match, as I've been saying week after week, doesn't do much for anybody. But the idea of a great match being the foundation for a story, like the idea that even though Adam Cole might not trust MJF, that a certain respect may have been built between the two of them. And, and MJF may have disdain 
for Adam Cole. But the idea that a respect could have been built between the two of them because they had such a good match together and it's led to this place that they're in today is great. It makes sense. It's a narrative. It's something that I can get behind. It's something that makes me want to tune in week after week to see what's next. I think about that stuff. I'm turning on Collision next week because I want to see how CM Punk bounces back after this match. I don't want to see him have another match and win. I want to see how the character deals with this loss. Is he still going to wear his Brett shorts? I'm going to turn on Dynamite because I want to see what's going on with MJF and Adam Cole. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the, the fact that MJF has gotten people back to this place where they actually believe in him. He's doing a thing where it's not that dissimilar to what he was doing uh, several months ago when he faked the babyface turn and then turned on Regal. Like, I, the fact that he's got us back to a place where he can play fake babyface and we're on board because there is real love for MJF is phenomenal. For me, I, I, I feel like you can build on this friendship and build on this friendship and build on this friendship. I think that you have what? We're in mid-July. So you have six weeks of building on this, you know? Um, you know, I, I think that I think that putting the tag team championship on MJF and Adam Cole would be a really good thing. I think that you put the tag team championship on them and once they have the gold together, they're actually cohesive. You know, I think that in the tag team title match is when you finally have the double clothesline moment that has been being built and built and built and built. You have them win the tag title. You do some more vignettes. They have fun together. Maybe they have one defense on television. And then they go to the pay-per-view and they're in a match with, I don't know, the acclaimed, whoever, whatever tag team you have built. Because you could theoretically, and you don't even have to main event Wembley with it, right? You don't have to main event Wembley with it. But I think it, at Wembley is when you do the tag title match. And that's when Max turns on Adam Cole. And you have Max turn on Adam Cole at Wembley Stadium. That way you get 60,000 British boos raining down on MJF. Because you know they will all cheer Adam Cole and MJF as a team because it's a fun team. And they will all horribly boo MJF if he were to turn on Adam Cole. So if you can get that sound on television, execute on that sound. Then... When we get back to the States, the dynamite after All In, Adam Cole challenges MJF for the AEW Heavyweight Championship. Then you can go to All Out and immediately have that match. I think if you're going to do two pay-per-views in a row, this MJF-Adam Cole thing is working. That's exactly how you use uh, all of your parts to the best of your abilities. I think that Ricochet and Logan Paul are losing all of their parts to the best of their ability. I mean, that the, the, the I feel like the Ricochet Logan Paul story is exactly 
what we played out on the podcast last week. I feel like that's one of those that I called like I was Babe Ruth pointing to where exactly I was going to hit my home run. Ricochet and MJF, and I, I feel like, I mean, Ricochet and Logan Paul, and I, 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 lo I, I love that Logan Paul is leaning all the way in. When Logan Paul looked into the camera, and he's like, but I'm not trying to build a buzz. He's like, I'm not a TikToker. And then he looked right at the camera, and he went, I'm a WWE superstar. And you got all these people, and they're mad at Logan Paul because he's an outsider. And they're mad at Logan Paul because he's exposing the business. And they're mad at Logan Paul because he's addicting children to caffeine. And they're mad at Logan Paul because he's stealing people's money on some crypto thing, maybe. And all of that builds and builds and builds. And on the other side, you, you build Ricochet as this hero of the people. You build Ricochet as this superstar that's dealt with it all. This superstar that's had to uh, work in every conceivable type of wrestling match, every conceivable wrestling arena. Ricochet, who's defending the very foundation of the professional wrestling business against this interloper. And then you have the perfect situation of the ultimate good guy versus the ultimate bad guy when it comes to this industry of professional wrestling to perform in front of professional wrestling fans. If you're a wrestling fan, you have to cheer Ricochet and you have to boo Logan Paul. It's the only way it works. And it is working and it's going to work. And I think Ricochet is in a, a pretty cool position. Ricochet, and this is this is why to me wrestling is, is just so much fun. Because Ricochet is being built to be a top good guy opponent. Why is Ricochet being built to be a top good guy by SummerSlam? The reason for that, I believe, is because Logan Paul lost to Roman Reigns. Then he lost the Royal Rumble. Then he lost to Seth Rollins. Then he lost Money in the Bank. These are all high-profile positions, but he's lost all of them. So he has to win, and he has to finally win a big one. How do we get him to win a big one without having one of our top guys lose make somebody else a top guy for SummerSlam and have them lose and that's probably what's going to happen the booze will rain down on Logan Paul but it's okay it's okay at SummerSlam if Logan Paul is the ultimate heater because think about how think about the emotion that'll be expelling out of your body for SummerSlam you're going to have everybody booing Logan Paul because he just beat Ricochet I hate that guy but you'll feel fine because you'll turn around and watch L.A. Knight beat Austin Theory and finally be, count, be crowned champion. And you love that guy. And then you'll sit in awe at the Shakespearean storytelling of the bloodline and Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. And I believe that Jey Uso and Roman Reigns will not have as definitive a finish as you might think because I think we're getting... WWE said specifically... The way we do pay-per-views now is they're either big stadium international events or they're pillar events, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, or they're storyline-driven. Storyline-driven. The pay-per-view after SummerSlam, I believe, is payback. That would lead me to believe that somebody's going to need payback. I believe that Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns will headline at least two pay-per-views SummerSlam included. Before we move on to uh, emails, on the news and notes front, I thought uh, I'm excited for Blood and Guts this week. Uh, 
you know, Omega Hangman uh, Bucks and Abushi as their partner versus Mark Claudio uh, Takeshita Wheeler and Pac as their partner. Probably the most loaded uh, blood and guts match we've ever had in terms of talent. Uh, that said, I do think that this is one of those where it's like, well, we're just doing a blood and guts match because it's time for blood and guts. I wish that that these two factions had found their war reach a boiling point where the only way to solve it was to do it inside blood and guts. While I see the narrative reason for these teams to face each other, I do not see these the narrative reason for these two teams to be surrounded by a double cage. That hasn't been established, in my opinion. Do I think the match is going to be incredible? 100%. Yes. Yes, I think the match is going to be incredible. Do I think that there is a storyline reason for the match to be happening? No, I do not think there is a storyline reason for the match to be happening. Uh, I thought Shotzi did a good job shaving her head. Loved Grayson Waller calling out The Rock. Why not? I mean, look, SAG and AFTRA are on strike. The Rock can't make movies and nobody's writing them anyway. So, you know, is there a pot? Now might be, I mean, The Rock can't just jump in a wrestling ring. He'd have to train. But if it looks like they're going to be out for months, Maybe The Rock does come back. If The Rock comes back and wrestles, is he going to wrestle Grayson Waller? I mean, The Rock might come out, confront Grayson Waller, lay him out, and then build to the next big match. You know, I don't think they're going to bring The Rock back to wrestle Grayson Waller, but Grayson Waller could be The Rock's reintroduction that then leads to The Rock versus Roman Reigns. It's the only match anybody wants with, with The Rock right now. Um, so it could be good. Although, I mean, I think LA Knight and The Rock confronting each other would be it would be interesting however i don't think it would do la knight any favors to confront the rock i think it would do grayson waller favors to confront the rock i don't think la knight would benefit from it um i tell you this i was talking about max dupree earlier and how that was a death sentence for la knight but that doesn't mean the dupree name hasn't done wonders for anybody because maxine dupree is a diamond in the rough on raw right now Maxine Dupree is just, I mean, she's succeeding on every level. I love her, what, what, her inclusion into Alpha Academy. Those segments are segments that I look forward to every week. And I just realized it's been weeks and I haven't really brought up Alpha Academy or Maxine Dupree, but I just think the week by week training of her that has got us all on board for the eventual match, you know, when we saw the arm drag, the whole thing, it's just been working really well. And I think Maxine Dupree is just, they're, they're doing such a good job of highlighting the things that she's good at and not having her do things that she's not good at, which I think everybody needs to take note of. Every, you know, in the wrestling world, I think that's the way to do wrestling right and get the most out of, you know, get the most bang for your buck. And I think... Maxine is just excelling uh, at the things that she's doing well. It's just awesome. It's just a lot of fun. And then finally, I thought the Nick Wayne debut on AEW Dynamite, Nick, the debut, the way the debut of Nick Wayne was handled by AEW was maybe their best non-surprise debut that they've ever done. I thought AEW did a wonderful job of building anticipation for it on social media 
over the course of the week, right? Because they announced months and months and months ago that they signed this kid, Nick Wayne, who's been killing it on the independents. Huge part of GCW. Before he signed AEW, I was gonna I was gonna try to book him for an interview just because I like the Billy Starks interview so much. And and I I felt like he's got a similar story, except there's more, well, I don't know, because Billy Stark, well, you know, whatever. Uh, but both both high school students that were excelling on the indies. Uh, but he got signed up to AEW and he signed this contract where once he turned 18, he'd start performing for them. And now that he's 18, it was time. I uh, Just an excellent job on social media hyping this thing up and making it seem like a big deal. An even better job once you got to Dynamite airing video packages, familiarizing people. AEW, I feel like far too often falls victim to the trap of assuming knowledge of the audience on the audience that the the because like Tony Khan and a couple of us hardcores watch GCW regularly and have kept up with everything Nick Wayne has been doing means that the entire AEW audience has kept up with everything Nick Wayne is doing and that is simply not true there were I would say the vast 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 majority like 95% of the people watching Dynamite had no idea who Nick Wayne was and I thought that they addressed that really well uh i thought that uh they they explained in video packages why he was important and why you should stay tuned to tonight's show to watch him debut by the time he came out i was like yes if i didn't have any prior knowledge i was completely sold i thought they did an excellent job uh of of promoting him i don't know why he lost I mean, not that Swerve necessarily should have lost, but you could put him in there with somebody besides Swerve if you don't want Swerve to take the L. I mean, I, I don't think it's catastrophic that Nick Wayne lost, but I I'm I don't I think that, you know, of all places, AEW is the wins and losses matter place. And I think that Nick Wayne would just benefit a lot more from winning in his debut as opposed to losing. I mean, you could say, well, he's got plenty of time to win. He's only 18, but I mean, wouldn't it be better to like make it a thing where it's like, yeah, AEW has this 18 year old and he's just nasty and have Nick Wayne go on a, a run where he's winning matches. Eventually you could cool him down and have him build back up. And then, you know, cause you have all these years to do him. But I think having him go on a run at this age would have only increased buzz. And I don't know how far that buzz is going to travel. I mean, it goes back to storytelling versus just having good matches. You know, if I'm like, oh, you got to watch AEW. There's this guy who has great matches and loses. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that. Oh, you got to watch AEW. There's an 18-year-old kid. He's nasty. He beats everybody. Oh, yeah, I'll watch that. I mean, it's not rocket science, I don't think. I don't think, but what do I know? I, I mean, actually, a lot of a lot of you guys want to know exactly what I know. You ask my opinion all the time. You send me emails. NotSamWrestling at gmail.com, as a matter of fact, is the email address. NotSamWrestling at gmail.com. If you want to email in, uh, I will address them. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, to leave a comment. Subscribe to Not Sam Wrestling on YouTube, YouTube uh, and hit like on the video. If you're wa uh, listening to the show uh, on Apple, rating and a review on Spotify, a rating. And let's get to these emails, starting with the most recent uh, that was only sent a couple hours ago as of this recording. Um, Kyle wants to know what my top five current day theme songs are. That feels very like very much like a segment, but I'll tell you some of the theme songs that I really like right now. Obviously, 
Cody is a big hit in this house. Roman Reigns' theme, current theme is my number one. Love it. Um, let's see. I'm not doing any of the, uh, it's actually a real song stuff. So like, I can't hit you with the elite. I can't hit you with Orange Cassidy. Can't even hit you with CM Punk. Um, cause I want to do original songs. I mean, even though Cody's was done by a band, it was done for him. Uh, who else do I really like? Uh, I've always loved No One Will Survive, the Champa song. Um, obviously the Acclaim song is great. Uh, uh, and Rollins. Uh, anything you can sing along to? I don't know. That's not my list list. You just put me on the spot. Um, let's see. Uh, hey, Sam. Since coming to the main roster about a year ago, Johnny Gargano has not been able to find his footing. I would love to see him reunite with the team he had in NXT. Would you rather see him reunite with The Way with Candice Dexter and Indy or DIY with Champa? Definitely DIY with Champa. Because to me, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Candice Dexter and Indy are, are great. And The Way is one of my favorite things. It was so entertaining and it showed a different side of every performer, including Austin Theory, that was involved in that. But Austin Theory's on a different roster. I don't think Dexter has set the world on fire on the main roster of WWE. Uh, I like the idea of Candice and Indy working together, maybe in the tag team division. And I 100% think Johnny Gargano should be back with Tommaso Ciampa. I feel like there's a good chance they're building that way. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we're headed towards The Miz and uh, uh, Bronson Reed versus DIY. But I don't know, man. Ciampa's just so good. I, I, I felt like he really won the crowd over in his match with The Miz on Monday Night Raw. Um, I think that Champa would definitely be the move and, and, and bringing DIY back as a team. It'd be great. Um, Ultra Boy, two quick questions. Who has the better theme song that the crowd loves to sing along with, Seth Rollins or Sami Zayn? Um, I feel like Seth's is more like we bow to you and Sami's is just we're having a good time. So it depends on what the vibe is. And do you think Cody will ever turn heel? Also, my 16th birthday was on Friday. Well, happy birthday, my friend. I hope it was an excellent one. God bless you for having a childhood where you have this much good wrestling. I mean, what a joy it must be for you. And yes, I absolutely think Cody Rhodes will turn heel. Eventually, it's the only place you're going to go. When Cody Rhodes accomplishes everything he can as a babyface and he's almost there, he'll have no choice but to turn heel. I absolutely think Cody will be a heel at some point. He'll be a great heel, too. Wrestling man, and a bit, a bit controversial, uh, this one is, but the United States Championship, least meaningful singles title in WWE history, besides MVP and The Miz, uh, that championship has done nothing for nobody. Um, I don't know. I think 24-7 title is probably worse. Uh, hardcore Championship had some real rough days. European Championship had some real rough days. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, again... I, it's about the wrestler, not necessarily about the title. There have been great intercontinental champions. There have been do-nothing intercontinental champions. And the United States Championship is not a WWE historical championship. It was a, it was a championship that was brought in from the outside. So there's always going to be that prejudice, I think. Uh, TJ, random question. Uh, what do you think the attributes that make up a good finisher I think it's mutually understood that a great finisher should be able to be performed on anyone. Yes. Uh, however, to me, I feel like the best finishers can be performed out of nowhere. Uh, like an RKO, Superkick, DDT. Sure, but also the Tombstone is one of the best finishers ever. If you have time, in your opinion, using the qualifications, I think the best finishers are the ones that are somehow associated with the superstar. Um, 
that you can do to anybody and that, you know, people can do to each other. I seen a graduation video of some kid jumping out of the crowd and RKOing his friend. It was the best. I mean, that's one of the things that got the RKO over is that kids started doing it to each other and they weren't getting hurt. So I think that's part of it. Everybody loves to choke slam each other. That's a great finisher. So I think, you know, that's a big part of it too. Uh, Brian says, thank you for all the hours of entertainment you provide. Hey, you got it. My question is simple. Why would they waste the first clean pinfall victory on Roman since the Tribal Chief gimmick came about on a tag match? It wasn't a waste. How? It wasn't a waste, Brian. I think it takes away from the eventual dropping of the undisputed title. I understand a significant moment for the Bloodline story as well as Jay's. I just think it won't be as dramatic when Roman loses the title. Well, Brian, you're 100% wrong. The idea that it won't be as dramatic when Roman loses the title is insane. When Roman loses the title, he will have nothing left. The title is the only thing that defines him as the tribal chief. The idea that that will be any less dramatic is insane. They have not been saying it's a thousand days since he's been pinned. They've been saying it's a thousand days since he's lost the title. It will take away 100% of nothing from the person who wins the title from Roman Reigns. As a matter of fact, they were just able to get every bit of juice they could out of the fruit that is Roman Reigns, the delicious nectar that is provided when you squeeze on the tribal chief was brought to us by doing it this way, okay? Now, you have the first pin, which puts Jey Uso on a far higher pedestal and puts Roman Reigns in a much more vulnerable place. It allows us to get to a place where realistically we can look at Roman Reigns and Jey Uso and say that Jey Uso has a chance. When Roman Reigns loses the title, it will be absolutely no less impactful because he's not going to lose the title a month after he gets pinned by Jey Uso. Here's what's going to happen. Roman Reigns is going to beat Jey Uso. Then he's going to beat Jey Uso again. Then he's going to continue to run as the undisputed WWE Universal Championship to the point that the narrative device of the first pinfall will actually be the thing that's lost. And the chase for the title will be it. When Cody said, I want to finish the story, the story wasn't, I want to pin Roman Reigns. It was, I want to take the title from Roman Reigns. It's all about taking the title from Roman Reigns. The first pinfall brings us to this place in the story. But the title, the title, my friends, that was a revolution. Uh... Josh says, good day, Sam. Been listening to the pod since Taz was giving you shit for using inside terms on the Taz show and had to check you out. Big fan. <laughs> I love Taz. Just wondering if you ever planned to tour Australia and perform some shows. The likes of Foley, Bruce Bischoff, Jake had some successful live shows down here and would love to see you. Bro, if you can get a venue that'll bring me out, I would do as many shows as they'll have me. I love Australia. I went once when I was a young man and thought it was just, it's, it's to this day, one of the best trips I've ever been on. I think Australia is great. My parents used to live in Sydney, uh, then Adelaide, then Melbourne before I was born. It's just, Australia is wonderful. I love Australia. I would go down there anytime. Jump on a Qantas flight tomorrow if you could sell me some tickets. But I got to sell some tickets. Uh, 
Conrad has hinted recently something was happening soon after he recently pulled out of the Impact shows here. Would love to see a double headline act. Tell Conrad to hit your boy up because I would do it in a heartbeat. I'll be there with bells on. Shamo says, which superstar was the Royal Rumble most integral to their career? Yokozuna, Shawn Michaels, Bianca Belair. Yokozuna, 10 times out of 10, 100%. Shawn Michaels, two-time Rumble winner, definitely put him on a different pedestal. Bianca Belair, I don't even think she needed the Royal Rumble. I don't think it changed her career one iota. I think she was destined to be where she was going anyway. But the idea that, that Yokozuna debuts in October of 1992, his first pay-per-view is Survivor Series 1992, where he defeats Virgil. Two months later, he goes to the Royal Rumble and he wins the thing. Eliminates Macho Man Randy Savage, goes to WrestleMania and main events. He main evented WrestleMania in March or April, whatever, of 1993. He debuted in November of 1992. Yokozuna. Yokozuna and Ric Flair are probably, I mean, when you, like, most significant and integral, like, when you say, like, this person won the Royal Rumble, the people it was most integral to and most significant, Yoko, Rey Mysterio, Ric Flair, Drew McIntyre. Now I'd have to think of one more, maybe. Might even be Rhea, but I'm not sure. Uh, Adam, hi, Sam. Do you think WWE is in the process of transitioning NXT into becoming a main roster brand with more superstars from Raw and SmackDown showing up in recent rumors that the show may be going on the road? Well, I don't think there are rumors that the show is going on the road. I don't think it is. I mean, they're doing their premium live events on the road, and they've been doing that for a few months since before WrestleMania, and it's been awesome. Um, I think that they're trying to uh, find a middle ground. I think that they know that it can't be a purely developmental show and be put on TV, but it can't be a purely third brand and develop new stars. So I think that, that they're trying to flush it out and make it a more valuable television property. I think that they're trying to flush it out and make it so that people will tune into Peacock and buy tickets for it for premium live events. But I think that they're still making it a spot. And I think that part of it is, right, that they're bringing those guys down because they want high-profile uh, perspectives in the developmental system to have time working with seasoned pros. And so I think that I, I don't think I, I don't think that they're trying to move it purely away from developmental. But I do think that they're trying to make it more of a uh property. More they're trying to add value to that property. So it's an interesting uh it's it's always an interesting evolution with NXT. Um Michael says uh here's a tough question. Best crowd list these in order from best to worst. All right. Clash of the Castle 2023, Chamber 20, or sorry, Clash 2022, Chamber 2023, Backlash 2023, Money in the Bank 2023. Okay, I'm probably going to go, whew, they were good. I'm going to go Backlash best. And this is just from memory. I would have to go back and look. Backlash best. Then... Probably Backlash, Clash, Chamber, Money in the Bank. But I might switch Chamber and Money in the Bank. That's not because Chamber was a bad crowd, but it's not like, I mean, Sammy was just so, so hot. You know, I don't know. Um, Benji, 
Longtime listener in Shell. Two questions. They're short. Thank you. I love how everybody's respecting my rules of email. I love you guys. You listen. I'm really interested to know your thoughts on the augmented reality image that WWE puts up in entrances. I feel they're uh, starting to look dated. Feel like it's time to move on. I liked when they were doing it uh, sporadically. Um, I don't think they should be used every week. Uh, and I don't think they should be used for everybody. It's almost like when you first get iMovie and you start throwing star wipes in and star wipe. You start throwing star wipes in like for everything. And you go like, okay, I got it. You know how to edit. You got, you got software. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like they could lighten up on them. I don't mind them. Some of them are really cool. I like the riddle stuff where weird stuff is just flying. The Judgment Day one's good. The Roman one's good. But, you know, you don't have to do it every time. Um, like, almost with Roman, I wish they would just do it for his title matches to make it feel bigger. And number two, if you were to be a mouthpiece for anyone on the main roster currently, who would it be? Okay. it's You wrote has to be someone who needs it, but you didn't even have to write that. I, I would not... If it were up to me, I would not be a mouthpiece for somebody that could cut their own promo because I, I, I would just, I, I would find joy in adding to somebody as opposed to just kind of glomming off on them because that's what I feel like it would be. Let me, uh, let me look at some superstars right now. Um, hmm. I'm looking at superstars and thinking like, can I come up with something? Like JD McDonough is somebody that I would love to do, but I don't need to. Like JD McDonough, when you give him a microphone, is pretty good. Um, most of these guys are pretty, guys and gals are pretty good. Uh, like, a, you know, like I, I keep, all right, let me let me check uh, SmackDown. I was looking at Raw, and nothing like uh, Bobby Lashley would be a fun one. But Bobby Lashley's had some great mouthpieces. I don't know if I would measure up to Leo Rush or MVP. They're so good. Um, hmm. I like this question. That's why I'm uh, Ridge Holland. Ridge Holland, I think. I would I would pick Ridge Holland. I would take Ridge out of the Brawling Brutes and I would try, I would be a mouthpiece for Ridge Holland. I love Ridge Holland. I would love to help create an image around Ridge Holland and those massive quads on him. Yeah, I think I would have a lot of fun as a mouthpiece for Ridge Holland. That'd be awesome. Maybe it's speaking a fake British accent or something. Uh, Nicholas, I want to talk to you about Julia Hart. I really like what AEW is doing with her. She fits great into the lore of House of Black and her entrance is cool. She should not lip sync in my opinion. I don't even mind the lip syncing to tell you the truth. Uh, she's young and there's still a lot of work in the ring, but it's promising. What do you think? Oh, and everybody's talking about Mania in London, but please give us a premium live event in Paris. Nice. A premium live event in Paris would be fun just for the, like, uh, the visuals of everything. Um, I'm a big Julia Hart fan. I think I talked about her a little bit last week, or maybe it was a Patreon podcast. I don't remember. But uh, I, I, I think the only thing with Julia Hart is that 
they're not doing, AEW is not doing what Julia Hart, what WWE is doing with Maxine Dupree. I think AEW needs to do a better job of highlighting Julia Hart's strengths and hiding her weaknesses. Julia Hart should never be overpowered. Julia Hart should never be in a match that's 10, 12 minutes long. Like Julia Hart should be in these weird two to three minute matches where psychologically she just keeps getting advantages and then has a couple of like nutso submission moves that she does. And that's it. And that's it. Because yeah, just her vibe is so good in the House of Black. And I think she could be good in the ring, but just highlighting her strengths. Um, Hector, he writes, uh, hello, super big fan. Uh, I have this moment that think for mania that give me goosebumps. Let me know what you think. Uh, it happened similar in AEW with Paige Omega and the Bucks, but no one talks about it or really remembers. WWE did this. It would be a moment, blah, blah, blah. Ending of the Mania match, Cody versus Roman. For some reason, the Usos are at ringside, mainly Jay. Cody is about to finish the match and looks at Jay. Looks like Jay will interfere, but just gives Cody the nod and says, finish the story. Cody hits his finisher and wins. Goosebumps, baby. Night after Roman uh, blames, whines, but him and Solo have had enough and spikes him. I mean, I don't know. I'm really tired of reading the uh, predictions that Solo is going to turn on Roman because I told you that months ago. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like... By the time we get to WrestleMania, I don't think Jey Uso is going to be at ringside for Cody, especially if Jey Uso lost to Roman. I don't know. It doesn't do anything for me right now. Okay, see, James Howell with the subject, uh, uh, Jey wins. I like that. Okay. New listener to the podcast started with the Money in the Bank review. This is what I'm talking about. I'm from across the pond. Just wanted to say I've been watching the product good since WrestleMania 7 and thought I could speculate, love it, a little bit about what I think should happen at SummerSlam. You do listen. I really think it's the right time for Roman to lose and Jay to be the man to do so. But I don't think that that's the end of the story because we move on to payback now. Uh, I think after Roman loses, he disappears. Jay has a rivalry with whoever. Doesn't matter. Leading into payback, Jay wins a payback. But at the end of the match, Roman destroys Jay and that uh, leads to senior money in the bank cashing in. It's just a ruse uh, that he was going to cash in on Seth. He was passing time until the real cash-in. This is the shock. This is Roman payback. You could uh, have Roman say to Jay, nobody in the family would be champion if it's not Roman Reigns. Payback's a bitch. I mean, um, it would be a fun twist. I think that, here's what I think. I think that the idea, first of all, I don't think it's time for Roman to lose. But I also think the idea that somebody would beat Roman Reigns and then lose the title after a month would take a lot of the equity away from beating Roman Reigns. I think beating Roman Reigns is like the biggest thing you could do in wrestling. The idea that you would lose the title a month later is almost like that's it. That's what we did all this for. So I think that's a dangerous game you're playing, James. Avic says, uh, if Razor and Diesel didn't leave for WCW, how would you have booked Razor in the latter part of 96? That's where I'm not doing emails anymore. How would you have booked Razor Ramon in the latter part of 96? Maybe beat Sean for the belt in MSG in a ladder match at Survivor Series? A third ladder match? Dude, that's a whole podcast. I've been going for how long here? You can't email in and ask me to do an entire new podcast. I, if you, I, I, one day I will book Fantasy Book 1996 because that sounds amazing. I love 1996. And the idea that Razor Ramon would go into the Attitude Era, I love that idea. But I can't just sit here real quick and answer an email about Fantasy Book Razor Ramon in the Attitude Era. That would have to be a whole thing that I wrote and thought about and and can't do that right now. What I can do right now is remind you to come out to Detroit 
on August 5th, SummerSlam Saturday. Go to NotSamLive.com for tickets. One block away from Ford Field at uh, the Detroit House of Comedy. Be there or be square. We'll be hanging out. It'll be great. It'll be fun. It'll be the greatest tailgate party you've ever been to. Tickets at NotSamLive.com. SummerSlam Saturday, Detroit House of Comedy, 5 p.m. We'll see you then. Have a good one. Subscribe. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night.